Good morning. Welcome to worship. He is risen. Amen. Let me do that again. He is risen. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. Death was arrested and my life began.
Good morning. Grab a seat. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here with us this morning to worship. On that morning of the third, a morning after Jesus had been in the tomb, three women went to the grave and to anoint the body of Jesus in the tomb. And as they were walking up, they were approached by an angel who told them, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. Amen? We have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have because death was arrested on that cross, buried in the tomb, and Jesus overcame death when he rose from the grave. And we have salvation and eternal life because of his power over death and sin. Amen? Well, if you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to say welcome so much to First Baptist Church. You'll see there in the pew rack in front of you is one of these little white guest registration cards. And if you'll take just a moment to fill that out for us, it's just a way for us to be able to connect with you. At the conclusion of the service, as you're exiting, uh, you can walk the uh, welcome ramp there. There's a desk up there, the welcome desk up uh, at the top of the ramp. And you can give that there to our lead pastor, Dr. Cox. He'll be there uh, this morning after the service. If you'd rather just drop it in a box, there's a box there that you can drop it in as well. This is just a way for us to get to know you and just to be able to pray for you. You can indicate on here to receive our newsletter so you know more about what's going on in the life of our church. This morning, we just want to continue to worship. I'm going to open us in prayer, and we'll continue to worship a risen Savior. Father, we thank you today that you are not in the grave, that you have risen that you've overcome sin and death and given us hope, given us life, given us freedom, given us salvation. And Father, let us sing and worship and praise you this morning at the preaching of your word. Father, let us uh, just rejoice in the salvation that we have in you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we can have new life, eternal life, salvation in you. It's in your hands, and we pray. Amen. Amen. All my hope is in Jesus. Will you stand and let's sing these songs together? All my hope is in Jesus.
today. We praise you for that. Open our ears and our hearts that we may hear from you. That it may change us. That when, as we experience you today, that we can't help but leave this place different than we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Happy Easter to you. We're so glad that you've joined us here at First Baptist Church to worship our Savior on this Easter Sunday morning. Glad to have those of you who are guests here with us today. Hope you feel very much at home in our church family. I'm sharing a sermon today entitled Easter 101. If you are new to church or you're not a Christian, I want to share with you the basics of what we believe about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you have been a Christian for a long time, 
I pray that this will strengthen your faith and your hope as we look at the resurrection of our Lord. So we Christians believe that almost 2,000 years ago, sometime in the next decade, will be the 2,000th anniversary of the death of Jesus. We believe that almost 2,000 years ago, the Roman government executed Jesus of Nazareth, crucified him, but that on the third day, on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. Now, we believe that this was an event that had, is unsurpassed. It had never happened before, and it has never happened since. Certainly, there have been others who have had after-death experiences, and they've been revived. Jesus himself even resuscitated three people, at least, according to the Gospels, including Lazarus. But each of those who has come back to life came back in the same body to the same mortality, aging, and eventually died again. Lazarus died again. These other people that you hear on the news who have had these after-death experiences, uh, they aged and died again. But Jesus of Nazareth, we believe, died and rose again, never to die again. He's still alive today. That is unprecedented. Never happened before or since. We have four independent historical accounts of the discovery of the resurrection. In our New Testament, there are four gospels, we call them, four sort of biographies of Jesus. I want to read an account from one of these early sources written within a few years of the event. I'll read Luke's account to you, Luke 24, verses 1 through 7. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. On this historical event, we stake all of our faith. We're all in on the resurrection. Some might say, well, Christianity would have value even if it were not true. It's, you know, it's got some moral teaching. It's uplifting. That's not what the New Testament says. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It's just another philosophy, another human invention. Paul says, uh, if he has not been raised, your face in vain. But if he has been raised, everything changes. And so this morning, I want to try to answer a few questions. What's the evidence for the resurrection? What's the evidence for believing that it really is true? What's the counter-arguments to it? And if it's true, what difference does it make? What are the implications of the resurrection? Let's begin by looking at some alternative theories. What do the critics say? What to those who don't believe in the resurrection, what would be your alternative theory for this? Let me suggest five of them to you. Number one, maybe Jesus never lived. 
maybe Jesus is just a fictional character like the Hobbit or Cinderella. Maybe all of this is just made up, a fairy tale. Maybe he never lived. Uh, and you may hear people who believe that. The problem is no expert, no historian believes that. The life of Jesus is one of the best attested events. The Jews do not believe that. The Jews believe that, that Jesus lived. The, the Muslims do not believe that. The Muslims believe that Jesus lived. The life of Jesus is attested in Roman historians, Suetonius, in Jewish historians, Josephus. It is in the Talmud of the of the uh, Muslims. It's in the, I mean, of the Jews. It's in the Quran of the Muslims. So, uh, there's just nobody who really believes that Jesus never lived. It's one of the most attested facts that there ever was. So maybe he lived, but he never died. Now that may sound odd, an odd theory to you, but that's the belief of Muslims, one of the largest uh, religions in the world. And the Muslims believe that Jesus, um, virgin-born, ascended to heaven, but he didn't ri raise from the dead because he never died. The Quran says, let me quote to you, from the Quran, it says, they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but another was made to resemble him. So the Quran indicates, and most Muslims would take that to mean that either Simon of Cyrene, who was conscripted to carry Jesus' cross for a while, or Judas was substituted for Jesus, and they died in his place, and that Jesus was taken away, and he never died. But that theory arose when the Quran was written 600 years after the event. No one had suggested that. And indeed, it's sort of an odd theory to believe Jesus, born of a virgin, ascended to heaven, but never uh, died and rose again. So you're, do you believe what was written 600 years after the event or what was written 20 years after the event, some of the New Testament writings? And again, the death of Jesus, attested by Roman historian Tacitus, uh, again, one of the most well-known facts. William Lane Craig has said the Achilles' heel is, of Islam is that they don't believe in the death of Jesus, one of the most attested facts there is. So, if he lived and he died, then uh, what happened to him? Well, maybe the resurrection is a legend. You know how legends arise. You've heard of the story of Paul Bunyan. Maybe there's a, uh, maybe it's just an, a legend that arose after the fact. I'll share with these last three, and then I'll deal with them as we talk about the evidence. And the fourth theory would be, well, maybe the resurrection was a hallucination. Some would say, well, these people wanted this to be true so much and, and they just sort of imagined it to be true and they had some kind of vision and, and they thought he had risen from the dead. They saw something, uh, but uh, it wasn't a real resurrection. The fifth and final theory um, uh, to uh, counteract the resurrection is that maybe it was a fraud. Maybe this was a conspiracy of the disciples and they uh, stole the body of Jesus and made it look like he had risen. Maybe it was a plot. Uh, maybe this was uh, a deliberate hoax that was portrayed. This is the earliest theory to explain what the church has taught. I'll read it to you in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. And it says that... Uh, 
some of the guards at the tomb went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very date. And so an alternative theory is that uh, this band of disciples who ran, this, had a change of heart, stormed the tomb, overpowered the Romans without killing anyone or hurting anyone, but took, uh, overpowered them, got the body of Jesus, and took it away. And, and so that was the earliest theory uh, of, of, of some kind of fraud. A little hard to believe, but uh, that's the earliest theory. So what's the evidence for the resurrection? Why do we believe? What would convince you historically that Jesus really is risen from the dead? Well, number one, the empty tomb. A piece of evidence is that the tomb was empty on Easter morning. And the enemies of Jesus never disputed that. They tried to explain the empty tomb, but they didn't contradict the empty tomb. And you won't find in any of the Jewish writings or others that there's a contradiction to that, that fact. All that they had to do to squash this young movement of Christianity was to say, hey, he's not risen. Here's where he buried him. Here's his body. They never took that line of defense. They tried to explain the empty tomb because the empty tomb was a fact that had to be accounted for. And this, of course, contradicts the theory that it's just a legend. Because in those early days, if the legend was arising, all you had to do to say, no, there's his cemetery plot, there's where he's buried. This contradicts this idea of a hallucination, that, that uh, they just imagined this. Because again, all that his enemies had to do was to say, look, here's his body, but that line of defense was never taken. The second piece of evidence for believing that the resurrection of Jesus is true and historical is that it was predicted in the Old Testament. This event was part of the plan of God and it had been predicted in writings hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, gave the first Christian sermon, and he began to preach about Jesus. And you know what the first line of evidence that Peter gave? The first thing that Peter mentioned about Jesus in his Pentecost sermon? It is this, that this was predicted in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. In Acts chapter uh, 2, we'll read just a couple of verses. He quotes in verse 27 of Acts 2 from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, written hundreds of years before. Because you'll not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Written hundreds of years before Jesus, Peter quotes that, and then he says, I'll just read one verse, you can read the entire sermon. Verse 31, seeing what was to come, he that is David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And so, one piece of evidence for the resurrection is that 
This had been predicted. God had called his shot for hundreds of years in multiple prophecies. And Peter quotes that on the day of Pentecost. Many Jewish people who have the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, have come to faith in Jesus Christ by reading Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. If you are of a Jewish background, if you revere the Old Testament, I challenge you to read Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. They're prophecies of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. The third piece of evidence that points to the truth of the resurrection is that there were eyewitness accounts. Again, let me read to you a verse from Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The second thing that he said about Jesus after he said his death and resurrection was predicted in the Old Testament, he said in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. In a court of law, the strongest evidence is the testimony of eyewitnesses. The earliest account we have of the resurrection even before the Gospels is Paul's, uh, is Paul, or Paul's letters and one of them, his letter to the Corinthians, written about 55 AD, uh, less than 25 years after the resurrection, Paul said this, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15 beginning at verse 3 about the eyewitnesses who testify to the resurrection. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, there's the idea of prophecy, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, He's saying he appeared to 500 at once, and most of them are still alive. You can go ask them about it. Some of them have died, he said, but most of them are still alive at this point 20 years later. Go interview them if you don't believe it, and they'll tell you. And then he said, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also to one abnormally born. Can you imagine if there was a trial in modern America and the... uh, Defense began to call eyewitnesses, and they called one, and then 12, and then 500, and eventually the jury would say, okay, we get this, enough with the eyewitnesses. It's an overwhelming amount of eyewitness accounts. And again, it contradicts the idea of a hallucination. One person can have an imagination or a vision, but 500 together in different locations and at different times, It contradicts the idea of a legend. A legend only grows after those who are all gone aren't there to refute it. If I wanted to start a legend about myself, and I'm going to start the legend that when I baptize, I walk on water. I just walk out there, sink down, baptize, then rise back up and walk off. And I'm going to start that story. I would... It would be hard to do because you people have all seen me baptized and you would say, no, he doesn't. That's not true. I've been there many times. He doesn't walk on water. You can't 
build a legend while eyewitnesses are still alive. Legends can only develop hundreds of years later. And that's why these apocryphal gospels that people want to point to with all this other stuff are legends. They came hundreds of years later. But the New Testament writers said the eyewitnesses are still alive. You go ask them. The fifth piece of evidence to believe or fourth piece of evidence to believe in the resurrection are the changed lives of the disciples. One of the most amazing testimonies that something had happened is that this fearful, cowardly band who ran suddenly became filled with unbelievable courage and were willing to die. Acts chapter 4 tells us of an event not too long after the resurrection when Peter and John in the name of Jesus had caused a lame man to walk and they were called before the Sanhedrin with Caiaphas and Annas present. The high priest and the former high priest read it in Acts 4 and it was the exact same group that had sentenced Jesus to death. And the Sanhedrin, 70 Jewish elders... Caiaphas, Annas, they stood before them and uh, these Jewish leaders told them, you are not to preach in the name of Jesus. I'll read you just part of the story beginning at verse 10. Here is Peter's response to them. If this were a conspiracy, here's the point where you say, just kidding, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not really going to die for this lie, you know. Here's the point where you start waffling and you say, can we get back to you on this? Uh, you don't die for a lie. You don't lose your homes. You don't lose, have to run from your city and keep saying it's a lie. Conspiracies fall apart. But let me tell you what the, happened when Peter probably expecting the same fate. If only a few months or a year earlier they, this group had sentenced Jesus to death, certainly they want to get rid of him now. Here's what he says, Acts 4.10, Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus the existence of the church the changed lives of disciples in the face of unbelievable persecution the turnaround that took place in their lives is the one of the most convincing proofs of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus you're going to have to examine the evidence. What do you believe about this claim that Jesus has risen from the dead? You examine the evidence, and you're going to have to come up with the idea that either it's a legend or a hallucination, or it is a conspiracy, or he really rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, what does that mean? What are the implications of that there are many, let me suggest four to you. If Jesus really rose from the dead, first of all, it means 
that Jesus really is Lord and Messiah. He said he was. If he rose from the dead, that's pretty good evidence he was right. Let's go back to the sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost. This is exactly what Peter said after he talked about fulfilled prophecy, after he talked about the eyewitness accounts. Peter said in Acts 2, 36, Therefore God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is the Lord of all creation, the Savior of the world. The resurrection is the stamp of confirmation, the verification of that. And so the conclusion is, Jesus who he said he was. And so I want to call you today to put your faith in Jesus as the Savior of the world the Lord of your life. And if you will believe in Him, you can experience the life that He came to possess through His death and resurrection. Second implication of the resurrection of Jesus is that you can experience spiritual resurrection. You see, the, the Bible tells us that if you will believe in Jesus, that there is a union that takes place with Him. And you are joined with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And you can experience personally, spiritually, what he experienced physically. That is, he died physically and you can experience a death to the sin in your life. You can get victory over that. And you can experience resurrection. You can get a whole new life that is so different, so powerful that it can only be described as having been raised with him. Let me read it to you in scripture in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Paul wrote, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. You hear it there? You can come alive with Christ because you're joined to him if you believe in him. Even though we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ. Christ. Do you get it? Spiritual resurrection. That's why when you become a Christian, you are baptized. And baptism represents in water, we lay you down under the water, you have died with Christ and are buried, and we raise you up out of the water because spiritually you have come alive. You have been joined with him in his resurrection and have experienced new life. You can have a new start in life because Jesus made that possible by his resurrection. And you can be a different person than you've been before, a whole different person. And you may have tried a lot of ways to change and a lot of techniques. You haven't tried resurrection. Why don't you try death and resurrection and you'll die to your old way of life and you will have a whole new resurrected power life if you'll put your faith in Jesus, the Lord and Messiah. And whatever's gone before and however you've messed up, you can have a fresh start and you can have power to live differently because you're joined with Jesus spiritually. Third implication for your life and my life of the resurrection of Jesus is that you can experience physical resurrection. 
Now, you can experience spiritual resurrection right now. Today, you, will, you can experience physical resurrection when Jesus returns at the end of the age. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So, we Christians believe that if you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, the moment you die, your spirit will depart from your body and go to heaven. That's what Jesus promised to the thief on the cross. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Both their bodies stayed on earth, their spirits went to heaven. Jesus, when he died, says, into your hands I commend my spirit. But that's not the totality of the Christian hope. We believe that God will save your body as well as your soul. And so at the return of Christ, he will raise us up with Jesus and present us to himself. So we're all aware of those Nashville school shootings, terrible tragedy a few weeks ago. Among those killed were three little nine-year-old children. And so we believe as Christians that those innocent children, like believers in Christ, the moment they died, their spirits departed their body and they're in heaven now. And all others of those who had trusted Christ as their savior but we believe that's not the end of the hope, that death that robbed them of growing up and robbed them of running and jumping will not have the last word because Jesus has risen from the dead and he redeems not only spirits but bodies. And so we believe that there's going to be a resurrection where those children will be able to run and jump and hug again. That's the totality of our salvation. And because Jesus has defeated death, he will bring with us. Let me read to you one other verse, a set of verses about that. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Our citizenship's in heaven. And, the, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. And so at the resurrection there will be just as there were in the body of Jesus, both continuity and discontinuity between our bodies. That is, some things will be similar, some things will be different. You'll be you. You'll have the same recognizability, but you will not have any of the deformity, aging, any of the, the, the injury or disease, and you will experience that glorious body like his resurrection body in power and in glory. Some of you are facing the first Easter since a loved one has died, a spouse, a parent, even a child. And that's a tough time. And the great word of hope for us is that through Jesus Christ, spirits are in heaven, and one day there is coming a day when he who puts everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. And there'll be reunion and resurrection together, and you hold on through the difficulty and the grief. Hold on to that hope. I'll share with you one more implication. There are others, many more. But let me just share one more that may be somewhat surprising to you that I think is especially relevant to our culture today in which we are so confused about our identity as in our bodies and our gender. Let me share one more with you. An implication of the resurrection of 
Jesus is that your body has eternal significance. Your body has eternal significance. We're living in a culture that says the body is not the real me. I got the wrong body. I got the wrong gender. I don't like my body. I'm not happy with my... Your body has eternal significance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the Corinthians who live in a sex-soaked culture. He's telling them why you need to live pure lives, and he gives them four reasons. If you want to hear the others, I'm going to preach on this passage next Sunday. You come back next Sunday. God willing, I'll be preaching on 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to share with you the theology of the body that really speaks to our culture. We've got a very distorted view of our bodies. What does God believe about our bodies and how we should treat them and why? For theological reasons next week that speaks to all this gender dysphoria and all of this stuff in our culture and God's going to give you some direction that will help you to be happy in who you are I'll give you one of them today one of the reasons that Paul gives for honoring your body keeping it pure respecting the body that God gave you is it's going to be raised it's not trash to be thrown away it is going to be raised forever you're going to have that body that you're in. Some dissimilarity, all the bad stuff gone, but all the good stuff still there. Let me read it to you in 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and 14. You say, they were saying at Corinth, who were justifying sexual immorality for Christians, you say food for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. They're saying, eh, it doesn't matter what you do in the body. The body, we're, our, we're going to fly away. Our souls are going to heaven. doesn't matter what you do in the body. And here's what he said. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. In a discussion of sexuality, Paul brings in the resurrection. Why? Because he's saying you need to understand your body has eternal significance. He's going to raise that body. And you might say, well, pastor, I thought I could be forgiven. You're saying it has eternal significance. Does that mean I can't be forgiven of a sin I've done in the body? Oh, no. You can be forgiven of any sin against your body or in your body. There's no sin so great that God will not forgive and completely will wipe away. You'll have no effects of that bodily sin in heaven. But the fact that there is continuity with the body, Paul is saying Christians value bodies because God saves bodies for all eternity and therefore I'll honor God with my body. What do you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You need to examine the evidence and you need to make a decision because the implications for our lives in eternity are enormous. In the 1700s, two Englishmen set out to do a major attack on Christianity. Gilbert West and George Littleton. They decided to take two of the main tenets of Christianity and develop uh, a counter-argument to them. Gilbert West took the resurrection of Jesus. George Littleton took the conversion of Paul. And they examined them for a period of months individually. When they came back together, Gilbert West said, I'm afraid I have been convinced that the resurrection is true. And George Littleton said, I'm afraid I've been convinced that the conversion of Paul is accurate. And both of them who had set out to attack Christianity had come to faith in Jesus Christ 
because the evidence had convinced even those skeptics. Will you give an honest hearing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because if he's risen from the dead, everything changes. Would you bow with me in prayer? Right now, perhaps there's someone who says, I don't have all my questions answered. I don't know all this means, but, but I believe. I believe that there is evidence, and the Spirit, not only the objective evidence, but the Spirit in my heart is telling me this rings true. If you today would pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. I believe you are the Messiah and the Lord. I confess that I am a sinner. I put my faith in you. I ask you to save me and raise me up spiritually and give me hope of that physical resurrection. I'll follow you as Lord of my life. If that's the desire of your heart today, he'll enter that and change you and you'll be born again. If you're a believer, would you say to him, Oh Lord Jesus, on this Easter, I thank you that you're alive. I put my hope in you. I'll live with faith and joy until we meet in person. In his name we pray, amen. Would you stand together? We're going to sing a song. This is a time of invitation. If you want to come forward, meet me here. Declare your faith in Jesus. Uh, we would rejoice with you. Other decision, you're welcome to come and pray. Let's sing together.
you so much for being with us this Easter Sunday. It's great to gather and celebrate our risen Lord. I want to tell you about a couple of things coming up uh, that you can be a part of. One, at the end of the month, uh, Sunday, April 30th, we're having a uh, worship concert here uh, with praise band and choir, and we're going to be recording that live experience uh, in, in worship, and I hope you can join us for that. And then every week we have uh, connection groups on Sundays. Uh, you can come for worship, be a part of connection groups. This happens uh, about every hour uh, that we have worship and uh, some other times. Uh, and you can find out about that at the Welcome Center or online. And then on Wednesday night, we have our activities for every age uh, through the rest of this semester into May. Uh, we have some new studies coming up. One in particular I think would be helpful if you're unfamiliar with our church and want to get to know about it is uh, Introductions. That's starting uh, April uh, 26th, I believe. And uh, that's where Dr. Cox will tell you about our church and help you know a little bit more about First Baptist and what we do and, and uh, how we go about things. So. Uh, hopefully you can be a part of these other things that are coming up uh, soon and uh, part of our church. So thank you for being here. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Oh, hey, yes. Quick announcement. Always, hey, on God. April 30th, we're going to do a live recording. of. We're going to make a live worship CD. And on April 30th, if you'll come 6 p.m. that night, we're going to just we're going to video it. We're going to record it, and then we're going to you know put it out there for everybody to see and, and to, to get. So uh, put that on your calendar, April 30th at six o'clock. Live worship, recording, CD, and all that. <laughs> see you then. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the living Lord. That the tomb is not empty but it doesn't mean that you are not here with us, God. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the joy and peace and hope that we can have that we serve and love a living Lord. Thank you for loving us. Help us to go with the joy that we have knowing this is true, that the grave is empty and you are alive. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.